you find Matthew 16, you might find a place uh, over in Philippians chapter 3. We'll be in both of these areas of the Bible. Jesus in Matthew 16, verse 13 well, let's just read, yeah, let's read, starting with verse 13. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered, and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Verse 18 again, he said to Peter, I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Just a little clarification, Jesus was not saying, Peter, I'm going to build the church on you. There's been a whole big old uh, bunch of heresy that started there. And we're not going to get into that, and that's not the purpose of the message this morning other than to say this. The rock that Jesus is talking about is himself. Peter has just declared that he's the Christ, the Son of the living God. So that's what the church shall be built upon the Lord Jesus himself. This series that we're in has been, we've talked a couple of weeks about the subject, what's next. We talked about the fact that we celebrated the resurrection, what a great and wonderful day uh, the resurrection day is for the for the believer, and we celebrated the wonderful events that gives all of us hope: the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now we're confident that He's working alive. There's an old song: "I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that He is risen, whatever men may say." I see his hand of mercy. I don't know the rest of it, but it's a it's a great old song. He lives. It used to be a song we sung every Easter. I'm not sure it wasn't just because we couldn't find another one that talked about the resurrection. I don't know, but you know, you you do things for different, but a great message, great resurrection message. But as wonderful as the resurrection is. And as important as it is, we must get past the celebration 
and get on to the necessity of living our daily lives. And that's basically what motivated me to, uh, and, and I'm sure the Lord, to lead me to um, develop this short series of messages. So what's next? Well, we talked about uh, the importance of some things in our lives. The first week we talked about the importance of of a life that is pure. A life that is patterned after many ways after the uh, uh, the, the church in the, in the book of Acts. Uh, Acts 5.42 said, Daily in, in the temple and in every house, they cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. And the, we talked about the success of the early church and how that uh, the church at Acts had multiplied to the points of, uh, of just, they got so big that you couldn't even count their numbers. Uh, this referred to the multitudes that were there. And the reason for that growth, growth was not that they had signed on to, uh, uh, to someone's church growth program. They, uh, the reason for that growth was that daily in the temple and in every house they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. And they basically, we, we talked about how they had integrated the principles of the Word of God into their lives. They became Christians, and their lives were changed. And that's still happening today. Last week, we talked about the importance of a personal witness, being a fisher of men. How that we need to do more than just talk about it. We need to do it. There's a lot of people talking about it today, aren't there? But we need to be fishers of men, not just talkers about the subject. We, we're not going to get the message out unless we do. Our friends and neighbors need to hear the message of the gospel. Today I want to talk to you about the importance of a church that is powerful. I told the men before the service today when we were praying, and they were praying for me, I could have gone many different directions with this one. But honestly, I want to talk to you about you and I. We are the church. There was a doctor in a mission hospital who gave medical treatment to six young prostitutes. Then he invited them to church. But the members of the congregation couldn't see beyond the girl's shameful reputation. They, they gasped when the young women shyly walked into the sanctuary. And for two successive Sundays, the people completely ignored them. Then someone started a, a whispering campaign, and soon there was a demand that such undesirables be kept out of the church. But there wasn't any action necessary. Because the girls never came back. You know, there are a lot of different ideas what the church should be about. Usually, man's own selfish ideas are served. It's unfortunate. Obviously, the, uh, the people in, the, in the, the story I just shared with you uh, had their own idea of what the church should be about. Churches become social clubs. Churches become many things. 
that God never intended them to be. We talk about the church. We're really talking about us. And by the way, talking about the progression, in your bulletin this morning, uh, you noticed a handout, I hope. And if you didn't, well, now you need to take notice. If you didn't get a bulletin, be sure to get one. Because there is a handout in there that compares the church in the book of Acts to the church of today. And I'm not going to take the time to go over all of the different points in there, but it's just kind of an interesting comparison um, uh, of how the church operated in the book of Acts as to how what the thinking is today. It's kind of sobering, actually, um, the, the differences as we, as we compare the two. But when we talk about what the church ought to be, as I said, we're really talking about what you and I ought to be. Because we are the church. You and I are the church. The church is not a building. The church is not a, a, uh, an organization. Even though there are buildings involved in their organization, hopefully, some organization involved. The church is a living body made up of you and I as believers. It's a called out assembly of believers, baptized believers in Jesus Christ. And so as we, we serve God, we, we understand that God has placed us as a church here for a purpose. Whether we're talking about the church or you and I as individuals. We've got to understand that we are here on purpose. The um, When we talk about you and I, we, uh, we are naturally talking about the fact that, that God has placed us right where we live for a purpose. God did not plant the Harvest Fellowship Baptist Church in Nampa, Idaho by accident or on the whim of of some preacher. He did it for a purpose. We're here for a reason. And when we stop and think about all of this, we must understand that we, if we're going to achieve the purpose for which he has placed us here, there are some things that must be true of us. They must be true of us as a church. They must be true of us as individuals. And I want to, I want to talk to you about those things this morning when we talk about, when we talk about the importance of a, a church that's powerful. Things necessary if we expect to achieve uh, to achieve the purpose for which God has placed our church in Nampa. Let me give you the first one. First thing that is necessary, we must be willing to stand. Matthew chapter 28. Familiar territory for most of us. In Matthew chapter 28 verse 19 it says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations. Notice the first two words. Go ye. Basically, God expects us to be aggressive as believers. As a church and as believers, we are expected 
to be aggressive. In other words, we're supposed to be doing something. We're supposed to be moving in a positive direction. It's a command to go. Literally translated, as you are going, make disciples. That's not a passive command. And by the way, we read Matthew 16 a moment ago in verse 18 where it said, Upon this rock, Jesus said, Upon this rock I shall build my church, or I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Something that we've kind of mixed up here a little bit. How many of you have ever seen gates that are used as offensive weapons? Now, I suppose they could be. You could plant a bomb or something in a gate, and it becomes an offensive weapon. But honestly, the gates of hell are not offensive weapons. They are defensive weapons. And the gates of hell, Jesus said, shall not prevail against the church. So what he's, what he's, he's implying here, he's saying that we should be attacking the gates of hell. You know, we, uh, we've heard the, the little saying said that when someone really gets on fire for God and they just want to charge hell with a squirt gun, you know? Yeah. Well, we can do that in the name of the Lord. As a church, as believers, as, 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 as the body of Christ, the gates of hell cannot stand against us. Our job is to be militant against Satan. We have an enemy. One of my grandkids I noticed the other day had on a t-shirt said, Satan is a punk. And I agree with that. You know, I think he's more than a punk. That's this kind of a nice way to, uh, to be nice about it. But uh, you know what? Sometimes I'm afraid, and we laugh about it a little bit, and it is humorous, and I understand that, and I'm not criticizing, uh, you know, I, I believe he's a punk too, but you know what? He's worse than a punk, and we need to take him as seriously as we can. He is our enemy. We need to, we need to be militant against him. First Peter chapter 5 and verse 8 says that our adversary, the devil, walks about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He wants to destroy us. If he had his way, he would. you would be toast right now. That's, that's what he thinks of you as a believer. You see, before you and I accepted Christ as our Savior, he wasn't our enemy because we hadn't lined up with anybody. We, we, we by, by default, were on his side because we weren't causing him any problems. So he left us alone. When you take a stand for Jesus Christ, you've got an enemy. Don't be afraid of that. Just know that you can militantly attack your enemy. Now, don't, don't, uh, don't come at him in your own power because I'm going to tell you, he's powerful. You better come at him in the power of Christ. And then you know that you're, you're going to win. You're more than a conqueror through him. To, to defeat him is, is very, very simple, though. James chapter 4. Look at James chapter 4 with me. 
In James chapter 4, James gives some very practical advice on how to, how to, uh, to fight the enemy. In verse 7, James 4, 7 says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Just simple as that. All you got to do is resist him. You don't have to come at him with all these theological terms, and you don't have to you don't have to bind him. I've heard I've heard uh, uh, Christians pray uh, that God would bind the devil. Well, I'm for it. I hope that he does get bound, and he needs to be bound. And I'm not telling you don't pray that way, but I want to tell you what you do need to do. You just need to resist him. Just be be unwilling to acknowledge that that. That what he has to offer is worth anything. For when you do, you're doing what he says in the first part of that verse. Someone says, how do I resist him? Look at the first part. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. If I submit myself to God, I am resisting the devil. If I am putting myself under the control of God, the devil doesn't have a chance. So submit yourselves, therefore, unto God. Resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. You know, there's been times when I would, I would pray, and I love praying the model prayer. Jesus taught the disciples how to pray. And, and honestly, sometimes, you know, praying what the world has come to know as the Lord's Prayer, I'd, refer, I'd, I'd rather refer to it as the model prayer because it's Jesus teaching his disciples how to pray. When, he's, when he told them how to pray, he said, pray like this. One of the parts was, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil or the evil one. When I pray, Lord, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil or the evil one. In my mind's eye, I want to see Satan taking a hike. That's just faith enough to believe that God is, is, is right when he said if we would just resist him, the devil's gone. And I'll tell you, there comes a certain peace. I don't care what's going on in your life. When you believe that, uh, that God is victorious over your enemy. We've got to take a stand against, against unrighteousness. And we've got to take a stand against the one who is our enemy. We've, we've got to resist him aggressively, furthering Christ's kingdom. That's the whole point of the whole thing. Be willing to stand. I like that uh, that song we sang this morning, Let the Worshippers Arise. That the Father has drawn a line in the sand. I'm going to get on the right side of that line, aren't you? That's what that whole thing is about. Aggressively taking a stand for Him. Secondly, if we're going to... Uh, if we're going to achieve our purpose for which God's placed us here for, we have to be willing to stretch. Be willing to stretch. Find Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. This is a, these verses right here I think are some of the, the most encouraging and strengthening verses in the Scripture. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 13 and 14. It says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. Paul, the Apostle Paul here, basically saying, I have not arrived. 
I ain't got all this down. I've not got it all down and not making not making any mistakes myself. But I want you to know something. Here's my plan, and here's what'll work for you. I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. There's one thing important to me, he said. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Paul said, I'm forgetting everything's behind me. And I'm laying hold of what's before me. Folks, today's needs differ from those of the past. You and I have different needs than people had in, in days gone by. Uh, people in, in the early 20th century had totally different needs than we have today. Total different set of, of circumstances. They were, at, at this same time 100 years ago, people were looking at these newfangled things they called automobiles, horseless carriages, and were wondering about them. Will these things last? Well, fortunately or unfortunately, I don't know which, but they did, didn't they? And as a result, you know those same people never had to had the pressures of having to make sure that those things were taken care of, right? So they'd run. They didn't put up with all that stuff that we do. They didn't have to worry about the price of gas. They didn't have to be concerned about about uh, making sure that they were me- those things were mechanically fit so that they uh, uh, they you know that they could get from point A to point B. Man, we get without a car anymore. We uh, just count us out. I mean, we're down for the count. I mean, we are captive by our automobiles because that's just the culture that we live in. That's the uh, that's the way this world is. Oil, like it or not, these people that, that and this is not a political statement, but these people that are saying that the, the that the war in Iraq is all over oil doesn't bother me one bit because oil is the whole thing that's making this whole world go around. If you don't have, you know why we have a lot of the problems that we have is the oil problems. One of the problems that we uh, one of the reasons that the, that the price of corn is so high is oil. You know one of the somebody told me the other day that that wheat is higher right now than it has been in 50 years. You know why? Oil. <laughs> I mean, you just—it all comes back to that. But it was, my my whole point is this: people in different generations had different needs. They had different problems. They had different things uh, that that you know. There was not a problem with uh, uh, with internet porn a hundred years ago. In fact, is there wasn't a problem with that thirty years ago. I don't think Al Gore invented it until about 15, 20 years ago, did he? <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist that one. But, but a total different set of problems. The whole thing is a cultural thing. We still, we, we, our, our need to deal with sin is the same. Sin is sin is sin. 
But the results of sin are manifested differently because of cultural differences. We can't get stuck in the mindset of the past. Paul said, forgetting those things which are behind, in verse 13. We can't think like we did 50 years ago. We can't think like we did 30 years ago. And you know, it's hard for me. Honestly, it's hard. In, in, in relation to a lot of things, we can't think like we did 10 years ago. Now, to God, my age 10 years ago, I was like last week, you know. But the truth is, things are changing so rapidly, we've got to be, we've got to be, we've got to have the wisdom to look at them for what they are. You know, sometimes it's, it's painful to make adjustments in our attitudes, isn't it? Like a doctor who knows that he's, he's going to have to perform surgery, which, which will necessarily make his patient uncomfortable. And in fact, going to inflict a little pain of its own. Uh, it's one of the great fears when Pam broke her wrist. I just, I was really concerned about her when she went to the doctor the next day, thinking, oh my goodness, I hope that thing hadn't started to do something, you know, to heal in the wrong way, and they had to go in there and break that thing again, or, or, or whatever, you know, and because, believe me, I, I've never had that happen, but I understand it's not much fun. It's painful, it's painful sometimes just to make the adjustment. Kind of like a person who's out of shape physically. None of you would understand that, I'm sure, but believe me, after having moved uh, in the last couple of weeks, I can tell you, I'm I'm there. I'm uh, someone, you know, I read in the Bible where it said, physical exercise profiteth little. I say amen to that. Nobody ought to have to exercise. I mean, it's just something that's overrated. Actually, it profits. It does profit, though, even though it says, and the whole emphasis of that verse is that spiritual exercise profits a great deal. But, you know, when you exercise, you go through the pains that are there, and you're willing to suffer those things, that pain that that changing your muscles and your body uh, are, are about in order to get to the point where that, that, that you're going. You know, it's worth spending the time to do that. Leith Anderson said, when change comes, it's always painful. But avoiding the pain may bring death. He's talking about the church here. A lot of churches have died, literally died, because they were not willing to change. And, and I'm not talking about changing the message. I'm just, I'm just talking about doing like Paul said. He said, I become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. You know, there's some stuff that Paul was out of his comfort zone on. And there's some stuff that we need to get out of ours from time to time. We need to be willing to have a, a change of our attitude. We must be willing to stretch, to grow. Reach out to people where, uh, where they are now if we expect to reach them. Reaching forth to those things which are, are before, Paul said. Let me give you a third thing that must be true if we expect to do what God wants us to do and to succeed and where God has placed us. 
We must be willing to serve. Jude 22 says, have, just simply, have compassion. Have compassion. Be compassionate. Yes, we must be aggressive in taking a stand against what is wrong and for what is right. We must be willing to stretch. We need to be, I'm almost afraid to use this word. We used it early before those who are more liberal in their theology and their politics picked up on it. But we need to be progressive, meaning we need to grow. Not in the progressive in the sense that we just need to not stand for anything. We need to be aggressive. We need to be progressive. Finally, we need to be compassionate as we go. Our aggressiveness, our stand needs to be motivated by a burden for souls. People in, in our community need to know the Lord. And folks, people around the world need to know the Lord. We sang that song, People Need the Lord. That's not just a cute little chorus. It's a real message. For you see, the change that people need in their lives will come through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We talked about it a little bit last week, so I'm not going to I'm not going to belabor the point this week. But just to say this, there are people that you and I know we work with on a daily basis. We go to school with maybe, or we go, or, or, or we live next door to, or people in our families, people that we know, people that need what the Lord has to offer. In fact, they want what the Lord has to offer. They want peace. They want uh, the peace of God which passes understanding. They want provision that only He can, he can provide for them. I'm going to tell you, you think you, you can get it done in this life? You can't get anything done in this life compared to what God can do for you. People want what the Lord has to offer. They just don't understand that, many of them. And it's our job to share that with them. And we need to be burdened about our friends and our neighbors. We've been uh, urging you and encouraging you to take some tracks with you. We Time for accountability, right? Track racks on that, on that first table as you come in back there. Grab a couple of those. Make sure you give it to somebody this week. Did you do that last week? Don't answer. You know whether you did or not. Ask God to, to lead you to someone that you can share with. I mean, there, there are people that come into our lives. How else are we going to reach them if we do not go? But people around the world need the Lord too. I'm going to tell you. When I look and I think about the people that, the people of Macedonia, we're, while I've never been there, I've seen so many pictures and I've talked to so many people there over the last several years. They're just like people in America. They're wandering around without hope. Right now, the people of Macedonia are, in fact, doing their best to, uh, to get approval to be admitted into NATO. It'll mean a great deal to them. But they need to know that NATO is not going to be the end-all answer for them. You see, the, 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 the nation of Macedonia is something like 
2% Christian. 2%. It's a, those people are without hope. And they'll never have any hope until they're introduced to the one who can give them hope. The Lord Jesus Christ. Why else? I want to tell you, I have no desire... I have no desire to go to a place to visit for sake of a, a just making a trip. I can enjoy being here a whole lot more than just going if it's for sake of, of leisure time. Why else would people do what they're doing around the world? Why, why else would, would our missionaries, the molars down in, in South Africa, leave the comforts of the United States of America and go to South, uh, South Africa and there be, be, uh, uh, have to submit themselves to all of the danger that they have and, and the AIDS epidemic the way it is and all the, the sickness that they have. And they didn't have to get into all that stuff. They had stayed at home. But they had a burden for the people. They had a burden that the people needed to have a relationship. And yes, not everyone is called to go to these places, but there's not one of us that is not called to, uh, to, to witness to the uttermost parts of the earth. So, in fact, if we're not called, I take that as we need to be sending somebody in our place. We expect to make a difference in this world that we're living in. We're going to have to have a servant spirit. That's compassion. That's compassion. You see, almost 2,000 years ago, Jesus looked down from heaven to earth. And he saw a man defeated and bound by sin. His compassion for those in need demanded that he come to earth. Demanded that he be born a man. Do whatever was necessary to meet the needs of those that he loved. He aggressively met the enemy at Calvary's cross and he won. He took a stand. He said, I'm going to do what's right. I'm not going to stand by while the devil thinks that he can take the world to hell. He made a, made a, a way for man to be saved. And that's exactly what he wants from you and I. He wants us to aggressively get the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth. And he wants us to begin Right where we live, right now. You and I are not living in Nampa, Idaho by, by accident. We're here because God placed us here. And God has people that will hear us, that will never listen to a preacher, that will never darken a church door. That's why we need to be burdened for them. We need to love them enough and care about them enough to want to just share the good news with them. Our job's not to go out preaching condemnation and, 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 and have some sort of critical spirit and all that. You know what? The devil's busy doing enough of that by himself. 
And the Lord will do any convicting that needs to be done. In fact, if anybody's going to come to Christ, he's going to have to come as a result of the invitation of God himself. But our job is just to be the messengers that we're ordained to be. Just deliver the message. You say, well, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how to do that. You know what happened to you when you, when you accepted Christ? You know what you did? You got a story. That's all you need. That's all you need. There's nothing to it. I want to ask you to bow your heads with me for just a moment. Every head bow and every eye closed, please. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning. I want to just, I want to say something to believers this morning, if I could. If you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, I know there's not a person in this room this morning that is so hard-hearted that they'd never be concerned about their friends and their their loved ones and, and their neighbors. That's just not our nature. But being concerned is only part of it. We need to be willing to take a stand. What about that person that you know who most likely doesn't have a relationship with God through Christ? They've never been saved. Would you not be willing to take a stand for them? As Jesus did for you. Or someone else. Maybe a friend did for you. Or a preacher did for you. Or a loved one did for you. All God wants is your availability. He'll give you the ability. He'll give you the power and the wisdom and the knowledge to know what to do. But you need to got you, you just got to be willing. Those are the key words in all three of these things. Be willing. If we are, what a great difference we can make in the lives of other people. Think about just for a moment. We're going to be through here in just a second, but think with me just for a moment about that person that you know that doesn't know the Lord. Would you ask God this morning, just burden your heart for that, that individual enough that you'd be willing to, to just share the love of Christ with them, to let them know that, that you care about them, and so does Jesus. My, how I'd like to give them a life that's worth something right now as well as eternal life. I wonder this morning with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, maybe there's a person like that here today. I don't know the hearts of other people, but I, I know that you know where you are and God knows where you are in your relationship with Him. Maybe this morning you're here and you'd say, Pastor, I'm, I'm not sure that I'm, I'm a Christian myself, but I'd like to be. 
I'd like to have what you've talked about. I'd like to, I'd like to have that peace that passes understanding. I'd like to, I'd like to, to know that I could call on God as my heavenly Father and to expect Him to work in my life and to, and to provide for me. And I'd, I'd like to know that I'm loved and that I have His companionship forever. That I have His forgiveness. For I know I've failed. I wonder. There's someone like that this morning. I want to encourage you to do something today. Would you just, with all of our heads are bowed and all of our eyes are closed, would you pray with me a very simple prayer? Just acknowledging to God that you need Him because you, like every other person, has failed Him. That's all He wants. That's called repentance. Asking Him to forgive you with a desire to want to, uh, to, to let Him work in your life. Pray this prayer with me. Just pray it silently. You don't have to pray it out loud. God will hear it and he'll answer it. I promise you, if you'll pray it, pray it believing. Dear God, I confess to you that I need you this morning. I confess to you that I've failed you, that I've sinned. And you know what all my sin is. It's all before you. And I ask you to forgive me where I failed you. And I believe that Jesus Christ died to pay for my sin. So I trust him as my personal savior. I trust him to do for me what I can't do for myself. I ask him to come into my life, take charge, and be my Lord. And I give you my heart today. I give you my life. In Jesus' name. And our heads are still bowed. Our eyes are still closed. I wonder this morning, maybe you're here today and you prayed that simple prayer with me. I, I'm not going to come to you or embarrass you or call your name or point you out in any way. I'd just like to know that you prayed that prayer this morning so I can pray for you in the future as you begin your walk with him. You become a child of God if you prayed that simple prayer this morning. Can I pray for you? Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed. Just slip your hand up so I can see it and just put it back down. God bless you and you. Someone else would just say, Pastor, I prayed that simple prayer this morning. and I just want God's blessing. How about you, my Christian friend, this morning? Maybe you know Jesus as your Savior. You need God's help and God's strength in witnessing to your friend. Maybe God's encouragement and strength to be the witness that you need to be to them. Maybe there's an individual that comes to mind you'd like, just like for this congregation to be praying with you about. We don't have to call their name. Just raise your hand. God bless you. God bless you. There are hands up all over. You can put them down now. You know what? God's in the prayer answering business. And God wants 
in the greatest way to make people know that they're loved and loved not only by us, but loved by Him. And what greater, greater blessing we have than to be the bearers of that good news. Let's pray together. Father, this morning I pray for these that have raised their hands. First of all, I pray for the, uh, the folks who've raised their hands this morning saying they, they've trusted Jesus as their personal Savior. God, thank you for giving them the, the courage to, uh, to do what they, they have done. And Lord, just bless them as they walk with you. Make their salvation real. And God, may your hand continue to be upon them. Uh, give them encouragement and blessing and growth as they walk with you. Protect them from the attacks of the devil. Their enemy wants to destroy them. And Lord, we know that greater is he that is in us who is the Spirit of God than he that is in this world. That's the devil. Give them strength and give them confidence and courage as they live for you now. And Lord, I pray for these folks that raise their hands and have loved ones or know people that need to know the Lord. And God, just give them a true burden to talk to them about you to share this great news that we have about Jesus, what he's done for us, and what, that he'll do it for them as well. God, give our people boldness. Give our people Holy Spirit leadership and, and strength and power to do the job that you've placed us here to do. Father, help us to take a stand. And Lord, to, Lord, help us to uh, to, to be willing to, to stretch, to grow, and to change our attitudes. And Lord, help us to do it with compassion. That we might see the kingdom of God grow as a result of our efforts and your work in the lives of people that we love. God, thank you for meeting with us this morning. Thank you for blessing the service as you have. Thank you, dear Father, for... Uh, for all that, that, that you're doing in our lives. I pray you'll continue to help this church to be uh, to grow. Lord, we, we've kind of gotten off, uh, off the dime, so to speak. We're, we, we haven't lost our focus, but we've certainly lost our growth over recent months. And we need to get back at doing what, what you have uh, commanded us to do, and that is to, uh, to be witnesses for you. Lord, help us as a church uh, to achieve that purpose for which you have planted the Harvest Fellowship right here in Nampa, Idaho for. God, we love you. and Thank you for loving us. Thank you for showing up this morning the way you have. And blessing. It's so important that we have your blessing and that we know you're here and you've made it very clear that you are. We thank you for that. We ask all these things in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Amen.